Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Ethan Sachs, the Grim Captain himself. You've got a spicy day two arena open deck. I do have a spicy arena day two open deck. Uh, Yeah, I'm not feeling great about it. I'm going to be honest. Like, I feel better after I sent you the draft log and I was like, oh, I think you would have done something really different. I was aware that there was something different I could have done, but you said you mostly ended up where where I would have ended up. Yeah, I think so. I didn't even really see the other path you were talking about. Oh, interesting. Well, I think that might lead us to a lot of the discussions that we're going to have today because I was looking at some of your logs and I've definitely gotten to catch some of your excellent holiday streams. <laughs> Me <weekend>. complaining. <laughs> You complaining, people. <laughs> me needling you, and you know the the cycle continues. But I do think there's some stuff like you know whether or not they are things we enjoy. I think there are just some sort of staples of the format, or like what, are, what are rules of engagement of the format that like if you aren't into it, you're not going to have a good time. And I think the general consensus is that folks are not having a good time in this format. Um, and I think that like, if you go like, well, I don't want to do that. It's like, okay, that's fine. But you're probably gonna like end up with worse decks and get rolled over a little bit by your opponents. And I think like, if you're okay with that, again, it just reminds me of uh, OG Ixalan, where I was like, yeah, whatever. I know I'm supposed to be drafting one with the wind, but I'm going to take Sailor of Means and I'm going to try and flip this ridiculous vehicle into a stupid land or whatever. And <laughs> I'm going to two one and I'm going to feel like I won, you know? Yeah, that's fair. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. What, what, what's your weekend been like? Just lots of magic. I have been a total bum. <laughs> it has been a break in the best kind of way. I was just like, eyes on the prize, got to make it to Thanksgiving break. And I made it. I've played a lot of magic, spent some quality time with family and friends. It's been a very refreshing break. And I am ready to go for the sprint to Christmas break. Let's do it. Um, And no arena open for you. Is that right? Oh, healthiest decision I have made in a long time. I'm wondering if you came up with Dinosaur Losers as the title mid like run number four for the arena open. <laughs> no, I was I w- it came to me at dinner last night as I was thinking about I was like, what could we do? But like with Ben, we've Ben's got some format gripes. How could we? Ah, there it is. Dinosaur Losers. <laughs> and I think but that that applies to me, too. Like, you know, I definitely feel like. I, a lot of the stuff that you have that are gripes, I feel the same of like, I roll my eyes when I see the turn one flyer for my opponent. I have never been more aware of losing the die roll in best of one, I think in any format, like, cause that already feels like such, like you're such on the back foot, you know? So I, I, I feel, I feel a similar, not, not, I, no one feels as much pain as you, but I feel a similar, <laughs> similar amount of pain as you. So we're going to chat about the format briefly and i think do as many logs as we can certainly look at my draft log from the arena open uh day two draft one hopefully it'll get me to draft two we'll see um but before we get into all that good stuff let's do some housekeeping first things first is the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose the show will always be free we got a lot of great perks base level perk that everybody who gives back via the patreon <laughs> is that they get access to the lords of limited discord it's hopping it's popping 24 7 limited tech support the place to be for these high stakes competitive events if you're participating in the arena open if you were in the discord this weekend you know it's just a great spot to be to get some feedback on your builds to get to cheer people on get get to celebrate and be celebrated by folks who make it to day two who make it to draft two and then hopefully we'll, fingers crossed have some folks getting some 
some money as well in the Discord this week. Some other great perks as you move up the reward tiers, get access to the show notes, get access to the show a day early even, and all the way up the reward tier ranks, get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, the Patreon is the place for you. And we also want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week we are welcoming Alejandro, Rhodium, Kyle, Tyler, Philip, Anthony, A. Zeller, Carr, Tristan, Ian, Thomas, Johan, Roland, Little Hard Dad, Henry, Lionel, and Alex. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And you better believe that's a good website for you to do your holiday shopping at. The holidays are here. That means gift giving season. They've got it all from Magic the Gathering to Hero Clicks. Maybe you've got some nieces, some nephews, maybe for yourself. Heck, who knows? That is into the Disney Lorcana. I hear that's hopping and popping these days, much like the Lords of Limited Discord. So whatever you're purchasing for those loved ones, or maybe even you're treating yourself, I might... Uh, Add a few more beta basics to the collection for me. Do a little little shopping around for myself. We'll see. A little treat yourself gift? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Wow. Well, it's my oyster. Any of that stuff that you're doing, please make sure you do it at CoolStuffInc.com and use checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off your order. So I'm hoping, Ben, that my six bullets that I took yesterday <laughs> to qualify for day two is a good omen because I feel like the past few arena opens, I want maybe one, two, three at max. But then I fizzle out in draft two on the second day. Um, so I'm hoping that the the hard run yesterday means I'm going to get some uh, get some luck on my side today. I almost got there on my second bullet with a blue black self mill deck with Throne of the Grim Captain. That's the two mana artifact. It taps to mill two and you can pay four to craft it with one of the four creature types. And I, I didn't realize this, that this was a throwback to... I mean, not a throwback to you. I'm sure there's like lore or whatever. But do you remember Grim Captain's Call from Ixalan, from original Ixalan? That was the, it was a three mana black sorcery and you could return up to one of the the four creature types, dinosaur, merfolk, vampire, and pirate from your graveyard to your hand. Loved that card. Was woefully, glacially too slow. A staple of the 2-1 archetype. (laughs) A staple of the 2-1 trophy. That's right. Um... (laughs) But so Grim Captain is like basically you win the game if you flip it, if you craft it with one of those uh, one of each of those four creature types and they can be from play. And what's great is that, you you know, it's a game plan in and of itself, because once you have it in play, you just turbo mill yourself to find those four types and then flip it. And then you've got this giant hexproof lifelink trample menace beater that you can then poop out the creatures that you exiled um but didn't quite get there and then had to fire rattle off a few other bullets went like three three one three 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 one three and then finally seven one with a a spicy sent it to ben and he said that is a all caps brew um (laughs) a, a red black double splash deck playing all of my caves and a uh a copy of calamitous cave in which was calling my name and i was sort of remembering when I posted my sealed pool from SCGCon that Jason Yeh, Jason ILTG, had responded like, oh, I definitely would have done something with the cave-in and the caves and just didn't quite have the experience, wasn't really realizing how good the sweeper was. And certainly in best of one, I think the sweeper is really, really strong. And so I ended up, I was like, ah, I was going to just build straight red black and then decided to do go all, all in with the caves. And not only was Calamitous Cave-in good for me, but a couple of the the caves were really good like definitely got to steal some wins by dumping plus and plus one counters from captivating cave onto some creatures or getting to just attack in with a three three with cavernous maw 
definitely had some people not see that. And so was was pretty, pretty impressed. And also just in Sealed in general, I think the Hidden Lands felt a lot stronger, being able to just grind out, have that just extra oomph if you were flooding a little bit, whatever. So I, I was actually pretty impressed by how consistent that uh, that deck was. And that was what got me to qualify late last night. Not not as late as sometimes Ben qualifies, but but later than I would have liked. One of the cards that kept showing up for my opponents, I, I want to get your, your feeling on this, Cavernous Stomper. It's 4GG for the 7-7, Scry's 2, and then you can pay 3 and a green to have it not be able to be blocked by creatures with power two or less card was a problem. It's good, especially in sealed. Like it's okay. in dinosaurs in draft, but in sealed, the cards, a house it's going to yeah. end the game. It demands a removal spell. There's only certain kinds of removal to answer it. It's right. two, which is basically draw a card in the late game after it comes down. It's strong. Yeah. That I, every time I saw it, I was like, what the heck? Like this derpy common, but it was a real problem. I had seen um, DC Sports had posted a thing on Twitter about her sealed pool for something on Magic Online with a screenshot of like three or four cavern stompers. And I was like, is this because your pool is terrible? Like, why, like, why are you highlighting <laughs> these cards? But no, it's because I think that card is actually really good in sealed. So yep. yeah, um, shout out to Cavernous Stomper. And shout out to me for getting there for day two. So we'll, we'll have that, actually have that whole run up on our YouTube channel uh, later on this week but we'll be looking at that draft log a little bit later on in the episode along with a few others but for now what's going on with the format ben why are we dinosaur losers well there's a lot going on i think first and foremost just my two cents for the arena open i feel great i couldn't do day one like because i have a conflict this afternoon on day two i could have done draft Mm. one but not draft two and just watching everyone else struggle i was just happily streaming drafts finally getting some dubs in the drafts, it was lovely. I lived vicariously this morning. I watched Crokies do his draft. I watched Raph Levy do his draft. Felt a little vicarious high stakes draft action through them. And I'm good. I feel it's weird. This is the only arena open. This is how little I like this format. This is the only arena open I have not felt FOMO about like for not competing on day two. Wow. I, feel, I feel free, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and how excited are you that the one in December is going to be cons? cons. That's yeah. what I was just thinking about while I was showering this morning. I was like, oh, man, maybe that's going to be cons. That'll be awesome. Yeah, it will be. So December I'm Reno excited is going to be cons. That. Yeah, that's going to be sweet. So, yeah, I think just format updates for me. I have done kind of a 180 in how I've been approaching the format to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I would like to get out into the world is that it's okay for me and for other people to play decks that aren't just guy decks, if that's what's open. I think wherever you get the most power, whether that's black red as the quote unquote worst archetype or whatever the case may be, you should play where you get the powerful cards. I think trying to take things like Oaken Siren, the one in a blue one two flying vigilance and just jam your way into blue red or blue white. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. And you can get yourself in a lot of trouble from forcing, I think, if you're seeing better cards. Yeah, I I didn't feel that way earlier. Like, I definitely, I felt that way about sort of the reverse about green of like, I don't really know what's going on with green. And we can talk about that a little bit um, in this episode. I still have not drafted very many green decks. I see the hype around dinos, see the hype-ish around green-white aggro, but largely I'm, I'm not a huge fan of green. But I didn't feel like I had to be Jeskai. Sure. Not not that I did either. I just was trying too Mm. hard, I think, to be Jeskai. Not to the point where I was forcing, but I was definitely biasing that way, I think, more than I should have. And I think 
I was just in some weird pods. Like, I truly do think I've been in weird pods because I you scroll Twitter and you're like, see, oh, we got my third Zoetic glyph on the wheel. Yeah. Like, I, I have tried so hard to pick Zoetic glyph all format. And I've got like maybe two copies, you know, from the 25, 30 drafts I've done at this point. God only knows how yeah. many I've done. Maybe more than that. I don't know. I've just been in some weird pods where it's been tough to get in to the good decks or to play with some of the best cards in the format. And I think you have to approach it a little differently when you're in those types of pods. And I think also format starts on turn one. Definitely still believe that to be true. But that doesn't mean you have you have to be aggro, that all the decks are aggro or that all the decks need to snowball on turn one, right? Like you can do other stuff. You just have to be, if you're not the one doing that, and if your deck isn't able to do that, if that's not your deck's game plan, that's fine. But you have to be prepared for that happening on the other side of the battlefield. You have to know that that's a very real possibility. Right. And I think it's easy to, once you get a couple one drops, just to think, well, I should shove more one drops in my deck. But once you have, if you're not hyper, hyper aggro, once you have two or three one drops and you've got a good curve of twos, you're probably okay to then start thinking towards the late game, I think, while you're drafting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I definitely feel that push pull of wanting to fill up my early curves so, 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 so much. I'm still, I still have a little bit of a fear, not FOMO. I have a fear of like three drops, <laughs> fear of four drops, fear of picking like cards that are up in my curve, just because I do feel that choke point. Um, in terms of what's replaceable and not. And, you know, once I take my first four drop, how many more can I take, etc. But I definitely think I can like breathe a little bit more there. You know, in my arena open day two draft, we'll see that I pass up on taking a card pick two that I think I probably should have, but just because I'm so scared of taking high curve stuff. Well, but sometimes, for example, like, you know, let's say you're piloting aggro. Sometimes your green opponent goes poison dart frog into mineshaft spider, which is a three, yeah. four reach. And then like the board's brick walled. If you don't have combat tricks to push, well, you're through. done. You're done. Basically. Like I've definitely had that where I'm like, it's turn five and you're at 17 and I have no way to push through with my red, white deck. Right. So I think just being aware of what you need from your aggro decks, or there's just a lot of weird spots you can get yourself in, I think, with deck construction. I think I feel like I have pretty good deck building fundamentals, but I think you this kind of sort of dovetails into my next point, which is you really have to make sure your deck has a plan. I know we always say that, but I mean, like, really, really, really <laughs> in this format, like, whereas like, you know, three cards out of place in your deck can cost you games because the games are so compacted and so much happens early on that if you draw your one or two cards that aren't quite super aggressive in your hyper aggro deck, it can give your opponent that time to stabilize and then take over in the late game. Or, you know, if you maybe jam one too many expensive cards in your deck that's trying to play for the late game, there's just so many costly things that can happen in deck building if you have cards that are off plan once you get into the gameplay. Like I, I Truly, the defining feature of this format to me, I think the drafts are largely pretty uninteresting. And, and also the gameplay kind of also, I think it's making sure that your deck is right for what's going to happen in the gameplay. That's really interesting. So of the three, you might say that deck building, I mean, obviously, you can't get to good deck building without good drafting. But let's say you are drafting well, that good deck building is perhaps the most important. So I want to just dive a little deeper there beyond like, don't put 
Cosmium Blast or Stinging Saw Blades in your aggro deck. Like, what do you mean by cards out of place? Well, so I've been I've been playing Spring Loaded Saw Blades in all my white decks. Like, I thought, eh, this card's powerful enough. But I've been playing mm-hmm. a lot of low to the ground white decks, like white red, white blue, like the ones that want to flood the board and get the game over with. And if you draw Spring Loaded Saw Blades and you put your opponent on the back foot, like you've kind of mulliganed, which is yeah. a, a huge problem in the game is because everything like trying to get the game over with. So I, I've really stopped putting spring loaded saw blades in every white deck. Like I really only want it in control. And I think some of that too was I was picking it too highly in the draft. It's weird because mm. I, I lost a lot the first week. I, I've won a lot more this week, like back to my normal win rate or whatever. And I feel like I understand things a little bit better, but I, I missed on enough I mean, I had a general sense of what the format was. I think we put out in our first episode kind of where the format was, but I was enough wrong on like five or 10 things that kind of matter that it was really tanking my win rate because those small things matter so much. Like just moving down spring loaded saw blades when I'm playing white aggro has helped because then you're picking another card that complements your your white aggressive game plan instead and is on plan instead of off plan, despite spring loaded saw blades being a quote unquote better card you know Mm -hmm. so is there is there other stuff other than just not knowing about like i'm aggro and so i shouldn't put this type of card in my deck versus i'm control and so i shouldn't put this type of card in my deck is there like other things that you found with like specific stuff that's been off plan yeah i think just how aggressive aggressive decks have to be like normal aggro decks aren't aggressive enough Almost like (laughs) because the format starts on turn one, right? Yeah, it's it's easier for your opponent to stop you because they're also able to start on turn one. So you almost have to be hyper, hyper aggro. Like I'm really coming around to being a staggering size believer. That's the the one on a green combat trick that gives plus three plus three and trample in, you know, maybe white green beat down or red green beat down. But that you really have to be all in on the aggro plan or then you're just trying to play some low cards to gum up the ground or interact with your opponent early to get to the point where you can stabilize against those aggro decks and win with better cards. Also want to shout out Ancestor's Aid as well, the one on a red plus two plus oh first strike make a treasure. I've been impressed by that card as a trick to like help aggro out and then you have this rectangle, either you're in blue-red and you care about an artifact entering the battlefield or artifacts being on the battlefield, or you're in red-white and you care about having something to be able to tap. I, I've liked that card too. So I think I think those tricks are pretty well positioned, which is interesting because I often feel like I don't have enough room. I often think about not having enough room for tricks, especially in red-white, because I want all of my stuff to be permanent. Like I'm like, oh, I want all my creature augmentation to be equipment. So that I can tap it too. Well, Ancestor's Aid helps that out. And obviously the, the trample from staggering size is just like a huge blowout. But just I think more than anything, either of those two tricks, when your opponent sticks a 3-4 reach or a 4-5 reach or whatever, you can still keep attacking into those cards, which is so, so, so important, I think. Because mm-hmm. if you if you have to take your foot off the gas the first time your opponent lands a creature like that, you're just in huge trouble. Like you almost have yeah. no chance of winning. But yeah. I think an overarching concept that I want to try to get across in the episode is I've really kind of changed how I'm drafting. Like my my normal thing to do when I'm drafting is to bop and weave and hedge pretty aggressively to try to find what's open. And I've started doing a lot better just from the get go. If I get a powerful card, just starting to draft a deck with a very clear cohesive plan about whatever mm. archetype or whatever that that card wants to go into 
and like really being picky about what I'm hedging for, like really only hedging for like B's and higher, like not even hedging for B minus type hmm. cards. So I, I've just kind of delineated the power level of cards a little more clearly in my head and tried to put hard lines in the sand about what I am and am not willing to hedge for. And getting on a more focused plan drafting like that has led to more completely focused decks, I think, which has led to more complete gameplay from my decks. If that makes sense. It makes sense. I'm going to use the F word here. Forcing. This is, is that what, the, we're, talk- is, is that what we're talking about? Is that we talking close- about forcing? <laughs> this is the closest to forcing I've ever been. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say I, I am forcing, but if there's a spectrum, this is the furthest shove that way I've ever been. And I kind of hate it, but I'm winning a lot more and my decks uh-huh. feel a lot better. And I hope I'm wrong about the advice I'm giving for the sake of draft and for the sake of magic. But all, all I can do is speak to the experience I've had. And I, I'm curious when you're drafting, if you've been doing that all, or if you felt the need to do that. I haven't felt the need to do that, but I guess I, it's hard for me to think of the drafts where a late pivot has been rewarded or beneficial right that's what i that's what i finally was looking back like yeah there are a lot of drafts where i started with like five picks in five colors or five picks in four colors and one of the other things about the format is like there's some real bangers right like the a's are incredible the b's are very very good and then there's like a cliff drop off Mm -hmm. to the c's and if you don't have the a's and the b's it's hard to pull the c's up to like where they can perform at their best. And so like basically as soon as I have cards that are at, you know, a B level, a B plus level, I just want to try to get the cards around them that complement them to make my deck function as well as it can rather rather than like, well, maybe if I read the open lane, like I'm going to get this other busted card late. But so many like the cards are so busted that people are probably snapping them up. Like I just have not seen randomly great cards late hardly ever in the format. Yeah, I think that's true. Other, other than common, like, I mean, common, certainly, like, sometimes blue-white is stupid open, and you see the blue-white cards floating by you or whatever, but just, like, bomb rares or things like that, I have not seen crazy late. Well, and even late signposts don't feel, and signposts that I like don't feel indicative of, and obviously we're working in small sample sizes, but they have not felt indicative of, oh, this archetype is open. Like, you see a late Kutzeel, that doesn't mean, like, I would often in other formats be like, oh, I'm going to hedge for green white now if I see that pick seven. I don't take that as a signal. Well, but it's it's almost not good enough to pivot for. That's the problem. Like there has to the the bar for like wanting to pivot is so high because you have to have so many ones and twos. And once you've already got X number of ones and twos, you feel like locked in. It's really hard to move off it. But then I still find myself hedging but i'd have been better off if i just not hedged and like thought okay i've kind of hit my threshold of ones and twos i've got this one or two powerful cards like i'm in for it and i just need to try to build the best deck possible i can with these cards rather than hoping for more yeah i think settling is kind of kind of the name of the game in this format rather than looking for your one true love (laughs) yeah that's fair so uh, other format thoughts leveraging tempo has been a huge part of the format because the games can end so quickly certainly like blue i think is great at doing this you know cards like lodestone needle the one in a blue flash lock something down for two turns we, we've shouted that out but waylaying pirates has gone way up in my pick order that's the three in a blue three three that if you have an artifact you get to lock something down for a turn and then brackish blunder also has some cheap interaction one in a blue instant bounce a creature um, and if it was tapped you get to make a treasure token similar to 
um, your combat trick, the plus two plus oh and first strike, like leaves a map token laying around that's another rectangle for you to use that I think it does enough work. Yeah. Waylaying Pirates is a card that I haven't, I don't know if I've put it in a deck yet, to be honest. Like I've seen it on the other side of the battlefield and it's definitely done work. You know, it's it, certainly if you're, that's, that's a snowball, $10 snowball cards for sure. Like, you know, you just curve out pretty aggressively and, and slam that down. It's really hard to recover. Um, and blue has a lot of those tools, but again, it's a four drop. So it's hard for me to, I don't know when to pick it. I don't know. Like it's so bad if you're not hyper aggressive. I don't think it's so bad if you're not hyper aggressive, but like it gets significantly less good. I think if you're not crazy aggressive, my blue decks have not often been that. So I don't know, but I see the scuttle about it, that it, that it's a good card, but I haven't played it yet. It's very good in blue, red and blue, white tempo. Mm-hmm. Certainly blue, red, I think is its best home, but in the blue, white artifact heavy decks that are trying to go aggro also. It's very good there. Yeah. We've touched on this already a little bit, but it's easy to draft an aggro deck that isn't quite aggressive enough. If you're not fully committed to the aggro plan, then sometimes you stumble a little bit and your opponents just randomly go a bit bigger than you or have a couple more caves than you do. And all of a sudden you've lost just because you weren't quite committed enough to the aggro plan. And not that that's the only way to go. I don't think you have to be hyper aggro, but if you're going to be aggro, like capital A, you know, playing all the one drops, suiting them up with equipment, the sunfire torches, like you want three sunfire torches to close out the game. You want your sun, your militias to tap two things to close out the game. Like you need reach and ways to continually enable attacks for yourself to like really go for it hard, I think. I co-sign that for sure. All right, let's take a quick ad break and be back with the format gripes. Cozy up this fall with the unmatched comfort of MeUndies. MeUndies has the softest and most breathable underwear you've ever experienced. Whether you're going from school all day to band all night or grinding a tournament for the weekend, MeUndies is here to keep you comfy. It's the holiday season, which means I am trying to be as comfy as possible. No hard pants, fuzzy socks, and the best days are definitely the ones where my MeUndies have their turn in the rotation. Hey Ben, if MeUndies was a draft format, what would it be? Oof, that's an easy cons of Tarkir for me. Fun, flexible, colorful, and something for everyone. That's right. You can explore their full collection featuring cozy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and more. If you're not happy with your first pair, don't worry. MeUndies has a simple philosophy. It's on them. You wouldn't use penny sleeves for your cards at a tournament, and you shouldn't use anything but the best to keep you cozy during the winter. To get 25% off your first order plus free shipping, go to MeUndies.com LOL. That's MeUndies.com LOL for 25% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. It's your time to shine, Ben. (laughs) I'm the biggest dinosaur loser of them all. (laughs) So just to rattle things off here, and I don't know that we need to get stuck on this, but if you're struggling in the format or if you've been losing a lot like me, just like know you're not alone. Like I went through a patch with a 50% win rate for a week and a half plus, and I'm back to 60% now, which means I've been winning at like a very good clip this past week. But I think the format feels really samey with all the one drops floating around and the games feel very similar. Like my opponent plays Island and I think, please don't play Spyglass Siren. And then they play Spyglass Siren like and it just happens over and over and over again to where you feel like you've played the same game 10 times in a row. And then they follow it up with planes and they play an Oaken Siren. You're like, great, cool. I've played this game 100 times like the format almost feels how I imagine playing constructed would feel because the games play out so similarly. Speaking of Ben, do you know that Lost Caverns of Ixalan has completely shaken up Pioneer? I 
do not, nor do I care. Well, how <laughs> okay. has it? Please enlighten there, me. There's a discover. There are multiple oh, discover combo decks. Yes, yes, that yes. Just yes. like win on turn three or turn four. So that's what you're um, going to play in Mize, right? Just get good. Well, get lucky. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It's early to say. Maybe something gets banned. Who knows? A Lotus Field is where I hear where it's at. Do you have the skill to Zor- sequence Azorius? your lands appropriately to play? I to don't. Play Lotus I don't know. Combo? But I, I did. I did get that deck craft that deck on arena so we'll see Ooh. if i'll start messing around with that i'm not still not not sold on the sacrifice life currently but uh, that's neither here nor there i agree and it's like does does turn one spyglass siren feel markedly different than turn one ruin lurker bat or turn one miner's guidewing no those all feel, and so like that's why it feels very samey because those games all feel the same. You're like, I know it's about to happen. I know I'm on the back foot. I know I'm on the back foot in the air. So I need to either be racing this or have removal. And the t- game just gets pretty compounded. Yes. Well, and Goblin Tomb Raider or Cenote Scout, yeah. and your opponent explores a not land on top, and it's a two two, and you're getting beaten down. Like, yeah, there's just so many ways that the games feel identical, and they're all mm-hmm. very close. Like. I've played a lot of tight games, but they're all tight in all of the same ways because those one drops and the way the the aggro archetypes are constructed force you into a racing type situation. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of times things hinge on whether someone's explore hit a land or a plus one plus one counter. Like I cannot tell you the number of games I've had where one explore was the difference. And like it's just 50 50 and like you see it right there in front of your face how unlucky you've gotten or how lucky your opponent has gotten or discover too. Like what, what a discover land hits. Like, is it going to hit removal or is it going to hit a creature? If they hit removal, I lose. If they hit a creature, I win. And like they hit a removal spell and you're just cursing. <laughs> this is just me. You're just looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just, I just think, yeah, the, the variance affects you in a way that I can't quite uh, sympathize with, but it's good content. I don't normally tilt this hard. I think this format leads you even more so towards tilting because you see all that stuff happen like explore discover is random or like the flip it's so there's so much more 50 50 coin flippy type stuff that you have to watch happen in front of your (laughs) face i don't know you would prefer to not know how lucky your opponent got yes i would i would feel much better about my life Uh yeah yeah, I just knew they had that removal spell in hand and had played tightly rather than like praying to the gods that their discover was going to hit interaction. But yeah, other format gripes, the rares that come down on curve just snowball so hard. I've got a list here. I don't know that we need to it kicks off with Warden of the Inner Sky, the one drop one, two that like turns into a flying vigilance monster. There's so many one, two and three drop rares that if you don't have an immediate answer for you just lose. And then sometimes too, like that leads you to wanting to pack your deck with dead weights or whatever. And then sometimes you have a draw where you're on the play with like two dead weights in your hand and your opponent doesn't play anything till turn three and then kills you with dinosaurs. Like there's just so many I have found every way possible to lose in the format. If you're wondering, you want advice on losing? I got you right here. Yeah, I definitely agree that this list here of, you know, we've got Inti as well. That card is Broken um, Subterranean Schooner, the blue vehicle, Kitesil Larsonist, the blue flyer that turns something into a treasure. Like, there's just so many really cheap threats that snowball breaches preacher schism like but the nice thing they've done is they've largely done a great job of spreading them through every single color so that you play against them a lot no matter what (laughs) colors your opponent's playing but also you have the chance to to get them yourself no 
I have not done much of that. <laughs> I I looked, I updated our tier list to try to kind of reflect these clear gaps in my head about what I'm willing to hedge for and not hedge for. And I have not done a lot of playing with the best cards in the format. <laughs> you should try doing it. It's way I, better. Yeah, I, hear, I hear it's great. I have, it leads me back to my you know, wanting to stay on plan once you have a card of a certain power level. I have mm-hmm. let myself get pushed off some cards like that, I think, incorrectly a couple times. And lastly, Wraths in the format that incentivize you to flood the board are inexcusable inclusions in this format. Like the Glyph Bridge, Unstable Glyph Bridge, Calamitous, like Calamitous Cave-In. Okay, great. Sure, your opponent did some work to do, but like it feels so bad when you finally get a good version of the deck that like floods the board and then your opponent Wraths you, which... Like, you're going to run into those cards a fair amount. Like, I can't be the only person that's getting wrath by the Fathomless Descent Black Rare or Unstable Glyph Bridge. And I finally got to play with Unstable Glyph Bridge and just built a deck. I was like, okay, I'm going to find Unstable Glyph Bridge every game and cast it. That was my game plan. And it was an easy seven wins because I found Unstable Glyph Bridge every game and I cast it every game. Yeah, the three that you've shouted out, Unstable Glyph Bridge, Calamitous Cave-In, and you got to work for Cave-In. And I think it's Terror of the Tides, the Fathomless Descent one. Um, Those are just really feel bads in a format where you can't play around it. Like There are already already plenty of feel bads in the format. There do not need to be more. Right. So off of the griping to some card evaluation changes, just some cards I've changed on. I've really come up on Sage of Days, which is the two and a blue three, two that lets you Mm. look at three, keep one on top or bin all three if you want for decks that want to send. It's great at turning that on or even decks with bombs that you want to find. Like, for example, I would not have I had a couple Sage of Days in this deck with Unstable Glyph Bridge because it digs you so deep. Towards yeah. it just helps you find it, puts artifacts in the yard for crafting. I've got a new appreciation for Sage of Days. I buy that. We talked about being down on spring-loaded saw blades just because it doesn't go in every white deck, right? Yeah. Way down also on Market Gnome, the white O3. It just is a mulligan so often against so mm. many of the good decks that are evasive flyers. Like you have to wait to get rid of it until you can craft it. And that's just not worth the getting your card back for crafting. Craft is just mm-hmm. free enough. Way down on Inverted Iceberg also. How do you feel about that card? So it's the one in a blue mill one draw card, and then you can pay six to turn it into a six six. I was previously much like Spring Loaded Sawblades, just putting it in every blue deck. And I don't think you can put it in blue aggressive decks. Yeah, I think sometimes, like like I said last week, I I still feel similar of, yes, I agree with that. Sometimes I've put it in red, blue, like a copy in red, blue, just because it's an artifact, a potential double artifact. I think the less craft you have, the better it gets, just because like it's nice to have a thing to do later in the game like that. But I agree. Like, it's just not that good. The, the awkwardness is, is that if you're not aggressive, though, you really don't want that card in your deck. Like, it's hard to sign up to do nothing on turn two. Well, that's the thing. You just can't play it on turn two. It's really bad when that's your turn two play and you haven't had a turn one play. And then you're not affecting the board until right. turn three. Because you're so right. far behind that, like, you spent two to cantrip, but you're never going to stay alive long enough to realize the six, six part of it. Yeah. Really up on in black defossilize four and a black sorcery, um, return a creature to the battlefield from your graveyard and explores, then explores again. Have been crazy impressed with that card, as well as another chance to a black for the instant mill two and then return two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. I think you had kind of been on a quest for black and we're doing the descend thing. I also think I think reanimator is more real than I gave it credit for, assuming that you have good rares to reanimate like the land Mm -hmm. cyclers you will reanimate that's not quite good enough to win you the game but if you've got some rares to recur black is great at recurring some rares 
Yeah, I, I'm really high on another chance. I think I need to be higher on defossilize. It just terrifies me that it's five mana. It's so worth it because the, the double explore, it's oftentimes get your creature back with a plus one, plus one counter, draw a land, or sometimes yeah. it's get it back, get two lands off the top of your deck. It's well worth the five mana. Mm-hmm. Also up on random cards with reach, dinosaurs, the four or five, panicked altasaur or whatever it's called, four and a red for the four or five yeah. reach. The card just gums up games and then like is kind of a problem. And as even well as even spider, even like, mineshaft spider. Yeah, especially in decks that want to send mineshaft spider. I, I kind of had it as replaceable tier and it's like really important to those decks that want to send, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And lastly here, Hoverstone Pilgrim. I know Sam Black's been playing a ton of this card, but I finally got a chance to play against it and I saw the light instantly. It's just hard to interact with because of the ward two. This is the 2-5 the flyer. But the pay two mana, you can also, I think this is what you appreciate about the card or cards like this. You can mess with your opponent's graveyard. Like you can get rid of all their artifacts to craft with. Like you can get rid of their cards that they're trying to reanimate. It just does a lot of small things. Yep. Yeah, I, I do like that little little ability on that card. I, I think Hoverstone Pilgrim is great. All right, so getting into navigating drafts, just some generic thoughts on all of that. I think I, I was tie-breaking towards blue and white a little too hard. I would only hedge towards blue and white if the pick is close. I think you should be really willing to take premium red, black, or green cards. And not that red was really in contention there, but premium green and black rares or uncommons, don't be afraid to draft green and black. Like, Certainly, Chupacabra is incredible. I mean, I thought it was good. It's excellent. Like, premium, premium, premium. That and the Archaeologist, the 3-2 Discover. Like, we knew all those cards were good, but just, like, how much better they are than everything else. Like, really dialing in on that, and I feel like I understand that a little better now. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is the most important stuff. Just know what each pick you're making implies. The cards that really don't go in multiple different styles of decks kind of get a knock. So, for example, something like Inverted Iceberg versus Cogwork Wrestler or or the, the Pogwork Wrestler or the Cog Cog Champ Wrestler, Pog Champ. There's a lot of, a lot of Twitch chat puns about the old <laughs> Cogwork Wrestler there. Uh-huh. I, previously, I would have been on Iceberg every time with picks like this, but I think Cogwork Wrestler goes in every blue deck way better than Inverted Iceberg does. Right, because it's definitely good in aggressive decks, but it's also really good defensively. Yeah, I just think it's always good and it's always one mana and always impacts the board. I think it's just a higher on the pick order for blue than Iceberg, which is very weird for me to wrap my head around. I Mm -hmm. think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I buy that. How about this next one? Goblin Tomb Raider versus Sunshot Militia. Because those, in my mind, kind of go in the same deck. Similar decks, but I think Sunshot Militia asks enough less of you that it it you can play sunshot militia in a mid-range deck and i don't Ah, think you can play goblin tomb raider in a mid-range deck and not that sunshot militia is necessarily going to be incredible but once you take and not that you have to take sunshot militia over goblin tomb raider yeah if you take goblin tomb raider there like you're in on like i need artifacts and i'm gonna be aggressive like and if you don't want to do that don't take Goblin Tomb Raider. <laughs> and I kept getting myself into trouble with stuff like that, where I would, you know, I know Goblin Tomb Raider is good in the red aggressive decks, but then I'd want it to be really open. But once you take Goblin Tomb Raiders, like you just have to be trying to want to draft that deck. You know what I mean? Yeah, you need to be taking torches really high. Right. O- over like potential bees in other colors yeah. once you're once you're down that life, or you need yeah. to get off the life and be done with it. You can't be dipping here and there with cards. I like agree. That. I agree. So in white, try to get an example from each color here. Just briefly chat about Tinker's Tote versus Deconstruction Hammer. Similarly, like don't 
they're similarly powered cards, but you should never put Tinker's Tote in a white aggressive deck, right? Is that true? I think so. It's so little power and toughness. Yeah, that's fair. Like if you're, you're not running Tinker's Tote happily in like the Miner's Guide Wing. No. Where you're doing the one, one Flying Vigilance life. You're running it in the decks that are white, blue, like flood the board, the more mid-rangey, crafty. Uh huh. Blue white decks, but you're not. Yeah. Like maybe you play copy in red white if you need. Yeah, if you've you know, got like three sunshot honor, But if you've got a good version of red white, you shouldn't need Tinkerer's Toe. That's a really good point. I agree. And then like versus Deconstruction Hammer, again, similar to the Goblin Tomb Raider, if you're spending picks on Deconstruction Hammer, you need to be trying to get the game done. Like you, you can't mm-hmm. be putting Deconstruction Hammer in a mid rangey blue deck. Like you, you need five Miner's Guide Wings. And that deck. I was trying to draft that deck a lot, and it's it's difficult to go after because if you don't get it, it's very hard to end up in something functional. You know what Correct. I mean? Like if, yeah. if other people are contesting that archetype with you. Mm-hmm. Um, in green, just think about Armored Kincaller. That's the dinosaur, the 3-3 three, three, that lets you reveal a dino to gain three. Poisonous Dart Frog, the Ramper versus Staggering Size, you know, plus three, plus three and Trample. All, all similarly powered cards, but let you do very different things, right? Like Poisonous Dart Frog is... I think the most ubiquitously playable of those and certainly wants you to ramp towards bigger things. But the King Caller is great in dinosaurs at helping you stabilize. So once you take King Caller, like you really need to be like, I want to play dinos. I'm going to try to play dinos if I'm taking this King Caller. Or once you take a staggering size, I want to try to get the game over with like cards. It's almost like um, like because none of these cards in my mind are good, but I've been <laughs> trying. They aren't. I mean, really, truly. Well, a lot of them, like other than I would say like Tomb Raider feels like a plan, kind of, but a lot of these are sort of like, what have you taken already? And then which of these cards supports them? Like Iceberg versus Cogwork Wrestler, I feel like previous picks should be indicating which of these you want. Same with, like, do you have Guide Wings? Then you want Deconstruction Hammer. Do you have Master's Guide Mural? Then you want Tinkerer's Tote, right? Like, previous picks are going to let you know which of these you want. But sometimes the packs in this format are just terrible, which also should have gone in the format gripes list. Like, there yeah. are some really horrible packs. And I was watching the arena open drafts today, and like, cards dried up quickly because yeah. people just weren't letting good cards go around randomly late. But sometimes I think you're forging your way with cards of this ilk. And you have to be willing to, once you start down a route, keep staying down that route. Otherwise, some of these cards that you spent picks on just are borderline unplayable if you don't have them in the right kind of shell. Mm-hmm. So just some other draft thoughts. A similar, this is like a, an overarching draft thought, but it's been hard for me to do, trying to get deep into one color, just because that gives you a little more flexibility. But so many of the cards that are in one color go in very specific color pairs from that color. So it's hard to get deep into a certain color without like having cards that go into multiple different color pair archetypes. So the format almost artificially pushes you early towards a color pair. And that goes against so much of what I want to do as a drafter. And the more I've leaned into letting cards funnel me into a color pair and trying to draft a very good version of that color pair, almost with blinders on, not not complete blinders, but like the furthest of towards the forcing end of the spectrum I've ever been, I've done way better. And again, small sample size. Maybe I was just winning yesterday because everybody good was playing in the arena open. But <laughs> I have certainly felt more cohesiveness from my decks and I felt better. I felt worse during the draft portion because like, it's not as fun. But I think the the finished products that I'm ending up with to pilot are better. Yeah, I buy it. Uh, and this kind of dovetails in 
and we kind of touched on this already, but really knowing what kinds of cards you want to speculate for. And again, I hope I'm wrong about speculating the advice of speculating rarely and only for A's and B's. But my win rates really started to turn around once I reined in my my speculation and tried to let you know my first three, four, five picks just you know unless it was very obviously cut, be willing to just forge my path ahead because you also send better signals and a lot of times your pack two is better than. It's just done a lot of things for me. I think the point you're making about it's hard to get deep into a color because there's so many, not even to say secret gold cards, but just like cards that land on one end of the spectrum or another in terms of aggro or not, I think is really important to hit home because I think people at face value could look at their pile after pack one and think, well, I know I'm white. I'll figure out the rest later. But it's really like, no, 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 no. You know your white aggro, which means you're looking for red or green, or very specific blue cards, or you know you're not white aggro, and so you're looking for, you know... Blue only. Yeah, maybe black if you can figure that out, but like, you really have to know not only, yeah, okay, I'm deep in a color, this color is open, but what are the cards of that color that you're seeing, that you're taking, that you think are powerful? Where are those most at home? Well, and because it dovetails back to that idea that you really need every single card in your deck working cohesively towards the same plan. So here, here's kind of an example that I think illustrates what I'm talking about perfectly from Kind Rewinder in the Lords of Limited Discord. Pack one, pick one has Polani's Hatcher, which is the red-green rare, the 5-3 dino that makes two eggs and hatches one of them into a 3-3 the turn it comes down that has haste. And pack two, you see, and then pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's either a staggering size, one in a green, plus three, plus three, and trample, or the best card in the pack, Ultek Cloud Guard, three in a white, three, two flyer, bring a one, one artifact along with it. What's the pick there? I want to take a third card. Am I allowed to take a third card? What third card do you want to take? I want to take Plundering Pirate. Two in a red, three, two, make a treasure because it lets me like I can play both of these cards in the same deck or I can also it it keeps the hatcher dream alive. And I know I am too low on staggering size, just like in general. I know Titanic growth is like was a high card in the last set, like the third best green common or whatever. It's just like really hard for me to clock those tricks. And how am I in terms of where do they land in my pick order? Because I need to take creatures over them. Like I can't just take staggering size and take creature so i don't know i like i just throwing that out there i'm not good at taking staggering size highly i would never take it here personally i would take the pirate just because i'm like okay i can do red green i can also end up red x and have a treasure towards splashing this powerful dinosaur yeah but most red decks are aggressive so you probably don't want to splash in them like hatcher's not quite good enough to want to splash that aggressively i disagree (laughs) i think hatcher is insane it's very good, yeah. Well, like my heart, ever everything about my essence as a drafter yeah, yeah, yeah. wants to take Ultek Cloud Guard here. Yes, three and a white, three two fly. Like I just want to take the best card in the pack early in the first four or five picks, and then feel the rest out. And I, I don't think the format lends itself kindly to that drafting strategy because then next pack you're going to face some tension between like some mediocre some red card. green card and some mediocre white card, or or yeah. maybe there's a good blue card and you take that, but you just end up getting pulled in different directions, and then you end up with a less cohesive deck than your opponents and having a less cohesive deck is a recipe for losing i think in the games in this format yeah i agree all right you want to get to uh my arena open draft let's do it okay um so here we go you sit down got a cup of coffee in front of you or mountain dew if you're ben pack one pick one see the following cards as options 
No commons really to speak of. Oaken Siren and Tithing Blade, I guess, are the two. The one on a blue, one, two, Flying Vigilance. Taps for blue for artifacts. And then Tithing Blade is the, the edict effect that flips into a way to drain your opponent every upkeep. Looking at the uncommons, there's Stinging Cave Crawler, two and a black, one, three, Death Touch. Descend four. When it attacks, you draw a card and you lose a life. There's Guardian of the Great Door, white, white for a four, four. With flying as an additional cost to cast it, tap four untapped artifacts, creatures, and or lands you control. And your rare is Threefold Thunderhulk. Seven mana for an artifact. It enters the battlefield with three plus and plus one counters on it. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, create a number of one one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens equal to its power. And you can pay two, sack another artifact to put a plus and plus one counter on the Thunder Hulk. Yeah, I think this is an interesting pack one, pick one. I think you could make an argument for Oaken Siren as a, a great card in two of the best archetypes in blue, white and blue, red. I think you could make a case for Stinging Cave Crawler as a good black card, like maybe an anti-meta read where you expect, you know, in a high stakes draft like this, you know, great card in a color that I expect to potentially be open. I just think the rare is too good and, and yeah. colorless. Like, so what you're saying by taking this rare is I'm not going to play aggro. But mm-hmm. like most of the people in the pod are probably thinking, I want to play aggro. At least that's Correct. what I would be expecting. So almost a boon here, I think, in getting threefold Thunderhulk and that you get to be, you know, level zero is draft aggro. You get to be level one of, okay, I'm going to play control and hopefully get better cards or maybe level one, level two, however you want to frame it. But you're on mm-hmm. the next level up of, okay, great. I start with a great control card and I'm likely to get better control cards because, you know, people want to draft level zero strategy. Yeah, that's ultimately where I landed as well. Um, I was thinking it was between that and Guardian of the Great Door for me. Um, I think that card's really powerful. Oh, wow. That's um, way yeah. down on my list here. I think my, my power rankings would go Thunderhulk, Oak and Siren, Cave Crawler, and, and very close between Siren. And- I think Guardian is very powerful. It's really interesting to me because I think like my... When I hear you say that Oaken Siren is second, that feels I'm like, yeah, that could end up okay for you if like, but there's so much that has to go right. Blue has to be open and you have to get artifacts and like, I don't know. Whereas like Guardian of the Great Door is good. Like it's a reason to do a thing. It's it's like C plus for me. I want to be doing the mm. thing already. It doesn't okay. incentivize me to do the thing. And Oaken Siren is good enough in those artifact decks that it pulls me towards them, I think. Interesting. Okay. So that's why you don't see the red. There is a red white path here, I think, that I don't take. I think you can't really take it if you don't take Guardian first, but uh, I did not. I took the Thunder Hulk. So pack one, pick two. For that red white life, you could take a Sunfire Torch, but I will not be doing that with my seven mana bomb artifact. The commons are largely bad. There's nothing really to speak of. This is just a, a bad pack. There's one the the main thing to Said note here. Everyone about every Lost Caverns of Ixalan pack ever. The main thing to note here is there's a card missing. Yeah, that card is blue. That card is blue. You'd be real sad if you started your path with Oak and Siren. So, but the, you would know a, to get off it, which would be good. Correct. Right. So no blue common in the pack. So I know already at least. I mean, I assume person of my right took Waterwind Scout, whatever, but. Also know that that person's probably trying to draft blue. So look at the uncommons. I think it's basically between two cards. There's uh, Synapse, Necromage, two and a black, three, one. When it dies, you get two, one, one funguses that can't block. And Defossilize, four and a black sorcery, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature explores, then it explores again. 
Yeah, I love Defossilize as the pick here, following up Threefold Thunderhulk. It's the perfect type of card that makes you want to bump Defossilize up in your pick order. Yeah. Ideally, you're going to get some self-milled and maybe dump the Thunderhulk in your bin and like mize it on turn five, or heaven forbid you cast it, your opponent answers it, you can get it back. Like there's just so much security. Like those two cards complement each other so well. And Synapse Necromage is fine. Like it's a good limited Magic the Gathering card, but it's not that much better than the other random three drops as far as swinging games goes. You know what I mean? Well, and, and also, you know, with our whole point, I do still believe this black really doesn't play aggro. Well, I think there are some flavors of red black that can play aggressively, um, but that's about it. That like necromage is real bad in that capacity. Like, sure, it, it trades then you have two bodies. You can sacrifice the one ones to something, but getting the two bodies that can't block is pretty bad. I, if I could go back, I would take defossilize here. Because of everything you said, I took the Necromage. Um, again, this is just my aversion. I was already like, I already have a seven drop. I can't take a five drop. But I think you're right. They just work too well together. All right. Pack one, pick three. More stinkers. So there's two Dino Cyclers. There's the blue and the black land cyclers. There's a Poison Dart Frog. One and a green, one, one reach. Tapped out of mana of any color. And you can pay two mana to give it Death Touch until end of turn. The only black card is Greedy Freebooter, which I'm still pretty low on. Single black 1-1 one, one. when it dies, scry one, make a treasure. Hey, big question here, Ben. Did you play with Atali's favor this week? I did. did. Did you do your homework? I did do my homework. I understand Atali's favor. I still yeah. don't think it's like the be-all, end-all, but I was way too low on it, and I was way too griping about my opponents getting lucky with it. It's a good card. I think its best home is red-green dinos, but you'll play it in red-white red blue but again it is only a hyper aggro card i think correct you are you are not playing it anywhere outside of hyper aggro but it is very good if you are hyper aggro that's mostly all red does though like you got to do some work for red to not be wanting to turn stuff sideways so there's an atali's favor in this pack as well the pack is wildly weak what, what do you take here i think i would take what you selected which is poison dart frog you could maybe make a case if you had to fossilize for like the oh. blue land cycler but i think without having to fossilize it's a clear poison dart frog i didn't shout out tinker's tote is what i should shout out here the two and a white make two one ones pay single white sack it to gain three life um that was the other card I was looking at in the pack is just like white's a good card. This is a good sort of like, as you said, gum up the ground, craft, plays well with the Thunder Hulk. But I, I thought taking the ramper was better. Yes, I agree. All right. Pick four. Pretty easy. Glory. Hallelujah. There's a join the dead in the pack. One black yep. black. Creature gets minus five, minus five, or with Descend 4, it's minus 10, minus 10 instead. Yeah, you're thrilled to see this pack. There's also Skullcap Snail, which is not bad. Like, there's Uchenbach, the great mistake here. This is making you think, yeah, I'm kind of in the right lane. There's still an Armored Kincaller floating around. Mm -hmm. You feel very good, I think, about seeing this pack and, and getting deeper into black here. Yeah, and then pack one, pick five, feeling really good. This is the first one where I don't feel like, oh, no, I, I missed out on this red-white deck. Pack one, pick five, there's a dead weight, which is, again, like what I think I want all day, every day with this style of deck. Because I think up until this point, so you could go Guardian of the Great Door 1, Sunfire Torch 2, Tinker's Tote, or Idol of the Deep King, or Atali's Favor, probably Favor, pick three. And then you get Sunshot Militia, pick four. Like you've got a real shot at a low to the ground, red, white, tap two things kind of deck. You do, but like... 
You don't have any premium cards for it. That strategy is likely to get a little worse in best of three. Mm. Certainly, you're more likely to be contested for that archetype. Like jamming my way into red white does not sound appealing to me. In this the, is good. In you're, the you're making me feel open. way better about this draft than I did <laughs> while it was happening. Um, so I got that dead weight. Pick six is pretty interesting. I did waffle between the pick I made and, and the card that I think you would have selected. You know, there, there's a, a signpost as we we're talking about, like seeing a late signpost, Nikon Zeal Current Conductor, green, blue for a 2-3. Whenever a creature you control explores a land, you can put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Whenever a creature you control explores a non-land, you put a plus plus one counter on Nikon Zeal. Um, but like, I'm not pivoting for this, especially knowing that someone took a blue card first to my right, but like, I'm just not doing that. But in other sets, you could see that happening. Um, For me, it came down to Compass Gnome, two mana, two, one artifact, can search up a land or a cave and put it on top, or Confounding Riddle, two in a blue instant, choose one, look at the top four of your library, put one into your hand and the rest into your graveyard, or counter target spell unless it's controller pays for. And I'll tell you what, this pick gets a lot easier to make if I have defossilized. If you have defossilized, then you're really excited about confounding riddle. Yeah. And there's also a fairly high likelihood that you're going to wheel that blue land cycler and then just be like really yeah. going to town with blue black reanimate. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I took the compass gnome because I was like, this is cheap. This is sort of like, you know, I'm not taking a black card, but it is getting me quote unquote deeper into black. Like I'm not waffling around and taking a blue card here. Right. It gives you a two drop if you have to abandon green for poison dart. Correct. Where your curve doesn't look abysmal as soon as you're trying to play another color with black. Right. It it does some stuff for you. I think this pick is close. Yeah, I don't think this is a bad pick. I think it was close. I I went to nearly time, I think, if not to time with it, um, but took the compass gnome. And I, I agree. If I think if I take, if I have defossilized, which I think I should have, Having Confounding Riddle is better. Pick seven, shout out to the sealed overperformer Cavern Stomper for GG for the 7-7 ETB Scry 2. Took that here out of a pretty weak pack. There's nothing. I mean, even even the Stomper isn't that strong, um, but there's nothing really to shout out here. There is in pick eight, baby. What happens in pick eight, Ben? There's Throne of the Grim Captain. That foreshadowing from the introduction earlier in the episode. You love to see it. There it two is. Two mana for the artifact, tap mill two cards, and you can craft with a dinosaur, a merfolk, a pirate, and a vampire. I didn't even look at your final build. Can you turn this thing on? Oh, I turned this on like a teenage boy at prom, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow, you really went for it there, huh? I did. Is that okay? Am I allowed? This, this is great. This is great. I love it. I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Wernie. Uh, yes, I only have one pirate, but I have uh, multiples of merfolk, dinos, and vampires in the end so it crafts turns into the seven seven menace trample lifelink hexproof when it attacks each opponent sacks a non-land permanent then you can put an exiled card used to craft the grim captain onto the battlefield under your control tapped and attacking had this in that sealed run i was talking about this card with the black land cycler is illegal because you just put the five six dino into play makes because like grim captain you can't target with removal but by this point in the game when you're flipping it they probably can like quad block it or something oh. and then you're just like oh here's plus two plus oh and indestructible also right 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 like yeah what are you gonna do about it um yeah so yeah thrilled to see throne of the grim captain also like this pick i was like okay there's no red or white cards in this pack so i was finally over my fear of did i pass a better path and then throne was just like oh i'm i'm all set up for this i mean i'm not all set up right now i only have a dino and no, no other types but i'm in a good color pair. I think ideally you're blue-black, but black-green is also a totally 
great color pair to get all the types for this. And I was off to the races. Yeah, we'd love to see it. Yeah, got an Acolyte of Aklazots pick nine. That was my first vampire. Um, got the greedy freebooter on the wheel. And I was like, oh, I don't usually like playing this, but now it's a pirate. And that is actually my only pirate at the end of the day. So got a black green deck, a couple dino cyclers, ended up with a couple copies of Join the Dead and Dead Wade and three poison dart frogs. Just going to try and turtle up and either do some stuff with my Thunder Hulk or my Throne of the Grim Captain. Yeah. Best of luck to you, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, here's another draft of mine where we're trying to illustrate what not to do in the format where you <laughs> where you bop and weave a bunch. So pack one, pick one, you see the following cards as options. Commons, I don't think anything is in consideration. Moving on to the uncommons, there's spring-loaded saw blades, which has plummeted down the old pick order for me. Uh, the one in a white ETB deal five flash that can craft into a blade wheel chariot, the five five. For some reason, I always think this is a limousine because of that car, the mystery limousine. Although that was a four four, wasn't it? Yeah. And from Streets of New Capenna. Mm. Anyway, Soul Coil Viper, two and a black, two, three, black tap, sack it, return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. There's format all-star ruin lurker bat, white for a one-one flying lifelink at the beginning of your end step. If you descended this turn, scry one. Another fairly large level up I've had. Like new ruin lurker bat was incredible, but it's incredible no matter what other cards you put around it. Like this does yeah. not require you to put deconstruction hammers and iron paw aspirants in your deck. You should just play it and it's gonna be a very good card for you. Uh, and then rare is Grandpa, Abuelo Ancestral Echo. One white blue for a two-two with flying ward two. And you pay one white blue to exile another target creature artifact you control and return that to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. I have been owned by this card in tandem with other cards many times. The ward two is just kind of egregious. Like I'm like, I really would like to interact with this favorably and I just can't. I haven't gotten to play with it myself, but I have definitely also been owned by it. So what do you like there? I think probably I would take a Abuelo if it's like, you know, if I'm sitting down with the pro tour, I'm probably just taking Ruin Lurker Bat. Like... The format starts on turn one. No better way to start your game than a Ruin Lurker Bat. Well, this is a pack where it's tough, where like no matter what you take, you're passing some great white. Like I don't think you're really taking a card of another color. Soul Clove Viper is not quite good enough. It's between, I think, Grandpa and Bat. I I think I think I stand by Bat here. It's very close. And maybe I'm underrating a Boilo, but being blue white when people are going after blue white, this was in uh, best of three pod also. So I was expecting blue white to be a little more contested. Um, took the bat, but I think certainly you can't go wrong either way. Yeah. Pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. We're going to say we took Ruin Lurker Bat because that's what I did in the moment. You could take Join the Dead, one black, black, instant target creature gets minus five, minus five. There's also a dead weight, the black minus two, minus two. Death Cap Marionette, a lot of black here. One and a black for the one, one death touch, ETB mill two. There's Dreadmaw's Ire. Uh, as an <sighs> uncommon red instant, this card is such a beating. Yeah. Target attacking creature gets plus two, plus two and gains trample. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, destroy target artifact that player controls. There's also a dousing device, which is, I think, shout out to you, a very good card in blue red. Just absolutely yeah. incredible there. Um, the artifact build around whenever an artifact ETBs up to one other target creature you control gets plus one plus zero in haste. And then you can flip it into something that pumps your creatures. And there's also a Captain Storm Cosmium Raider, the blue red signpost two two. whenever an artifact ETBs, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on a pirate you control. One of the best signposts in the format, like just so snowball-y with a capital S. I would take it here. Like there isn't a white card for you to follow a bat with. There isn't really a card that pairs well with bat like probably the best one would be dreadmaw's ire or goblin tomb raider as just like let's go all in hyper aggro red white but i like taking 
Captain Storm here personally, but you have to already be aware that you're now you've now got two different paths. A path where you play Bat and a path where you play Captain Storm, and those are two different paths. Yeah, I, I'm enough on I don't want to be doing that at this point that I would make a different pick here. I, I would take really? join I would take join the dead. One black black instant minus five minus five with the thought that I can play bat and join the dead in the same deck. Oh, I have no interest in drafting black white. I, I think that's where I've I've given myself permission, I think, to do that a little bit more. Like I think it can come together. And I think certainly if you're having to pivot off one or the other, like you have a much higher chance of playing Join the Dead or Ruin Lurker Bat than you do of playing Ruin Lurker Bat or Captain Storm, also, I think. Sure, but Captain Storm is I mean, I think Bat is still the most powerful card you've seen, but Captain Storm is great. It's the best card in this pack, I think. I agree that it's the best card in the pack. I, it just makes me really nervous as a, yeah, as a gold a, card. See, taking Join the Dead makes me nervous. Why? Because, well, for one, I would take Deadweight over Join the Dead, personally. I think Deadweight is a better card than Join the Dead, as for what we talked about last week. But I just like... I think that I agree with your your sentiment of Ruin Lurker Bat's just going to be good no matter what, but it's going to be at its best if you're base white, aggressive, etc. I feel like I'm I'm setting myself up to be going down two different paths likely anyway by taking white card into black card here that I'd rather set myself up to go down two paths that I like better by taking Captain Storm. That's fair. And I don't I, like you're having to make some hard choices. I don't think one's right you or can. wrong. I just like I really don't want to be on split paths from pack one pick two potentially. And I'm, I'm much more willing to draft black white now than I was three days ago or whatever. That's okay. what I mean where I said I've done kind of a 180 on how yeah, I'm yeah, that's fair. approaching the format and not that one's right or wrong. So moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's nothing great in the commons. Like best one is probably death cat marionette. Um, one in a black for a one, one with death touch when it ETBs, you mill two cards. It's also Cosmium Blast, one in a white, deal four to an attacking or blocking creature. Um, and then in the uncommons, all playable, there's the, the black-red signpost, Zoyoa Lava Tongue, the 2-2 Death Toucher. There's Twists and Turns. I love that card. Green, if a creature would explore, yeah. instead you scry one. And then that creature explores, and it flips into the land that can dig for creatures. There's also Earthshaker Dreadmaw here, 4GG for 6-6 six, six with Trample. ETBs draw a card for each other dinosaur you control. Yeah, so let's say you had taken Join the Dead. If I had taken Join the Dead, I would be slamming Deathcap Marionette here. Okay, and if I had taken Captain Storm, this is where, like, it's in. The, I think the pick you make is a pick of, like, if this is a different format, where you take Earthshaker Dreadmaw because you're like, this is a powerful top-end payoff or an archetype. Let's just see what's open. Makes me very nervous to take a six drop third pick. Right. Well, like the thing you have to ask yourself, that's what I selected was Earthshaker Dreadmaw. Like what's the world where you end up drafting a deck where you're playing Earthshaker Dreadmaw from here? It's a very small world. I mean, you're going to have to decide like it's so hard for there to be picks you're about to make that lead you to want to steer towards Dreadmaw versus one of these other two cards. Well, and it's just so hard for you to make picks in the next couple packs that like go in multiple of these directions. These are all such very like Ruin Lurker Bat is a narrow path currently. Captain Storm is a narrow path. And then Earthshaker Dreadmaw is another narrow path, right? Maybe you end up in a green white deck where Dreadmaw and Ruin Lurker Bat are both played. Maybe, but that's about it. And so you're going to have to decide because you're not going to be able to like hedge, bob and weave in the next few picks. You're going to have to decide in like 
picks four, five, or six, which of these paths you're going down, but then you're going to be deciding for like poor card quality. Right. That's that's what the point I want to get to is by yeah. the time you've figured out, like you've, yes. you've, t- you've speculated, blah, 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 blah. You've taken all these cards from different archetypes. By the time you get to pick six, pick seven in these packs where you would normally be getting positive reinforcement of, yes, this is the right lane. You're still the packs just having are bad. To, the packs are bad, and you're still just having to make decisions of okay, I'm going to forge down this ruin lurker bat path, but then you've also missed opportunities to pick other cards that would have complemented ruin lurker bat when you spent like picks two, three, four, five hedging your bets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, for I just sure. think like I found myself time and time again in that spot where I just would have been better off by picking cards that could have been played with my first picks. You're way happier going Ruin Lurker Bat, Join the Dead, Death Cap Marionette than you are. Like what if even if you take Captain yeah. Storm here, you get no options this pack, basically. I would not I'm not happy, but I would take Pirate Hat. Oof. I think I would take Cosmium Blast and just be abandoning ship on blue red. But e- either way, I think one of those two cards. I don't I don't think it is hedging on the dinosaur. Yeah, I agree. And so I just think like being aware of those very narrow paths, especially if you put yourself in the spot where like you can maybe do it where you have two paths and like, let's say you end pack one with like four picks for one and four of the other. And you're just like, I got to figure out what's open pack two. You don't have a lot of room, but you can make it work with three. You just, there's no way there's no way for you to take like the best card, the best card, the best card out of the first three packs and have cards later in that pack that are going to help you make that decision. Yes. You're going to end up making the decision anyway, I think. Yes. Right. So you should just make it now rather right. than that's that's my that's what like, I'm saying. I'm the closest to forcing I've ever been because I just feel like you have to end up making that pick anyway, ultimately. Yeah. And then you just end up with worse cards in your deck because you made it later, like pick seven instead of pick three or four, you know? Yeah. And to kind of touch on your point, like where you're saying it is possible to manage too. I do think certainly like if you're deep in blue, it's possible to go pretty late, like trying to decide if you're blue, white or blue, red, maybe certainly like something like that. But then you're already in great shape. Like the the drafts is not a clear Jeskai lane open. Like I think you just need to be kind of willing to commit to wherever you get good cards and go after it. But and like all of this hedging that I did early on here, the bat, Captain Storm, Dreadmaw, like none of those are really good enough to move the needle either like they, mm. they're not even close to the top 40 cards in the set or something you know maybe yeah. maybe ruin lurker bad is and, and yeah maybe captain storm is but that only if you get in their respective archetypes and like we're already not seeing the complementary cards for them you know what i mean but you just sort of have to you gotta pick yeah you gotta forge your way gotta forge your path all right any other parting thoughts before we go here no i think that's a really good i, I feel like i wasn't quite on board with your thoughts at the beginning of the episode in terms of like that forcing the using the F word, but I see what you're saying. Like this is such a great draft example. Cause I see what you're saying about like, you're just not going to be able to get into one of these three decks other than your own decision anyway, you know, right? Like, cause the cards are just going to be so weak in a few picks that you're better off just making the decision earlier. Right. Well, and once you get a card, like in the Polanyi's Hatcher example from way earlier in the episode, once you have a card of Polanyi's Hatcher's level, like just build a great dinosaurs deck unless you very completely obviously get cut out of it, you know? Right. Like I'm so and hedging for like Polanyi's Hatcher's an A, like hedging for B's is tough to do like because the 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 format just doesn't lend itself to pivoting that easily, which is I think where I've 
had my biggest issues as I've been wanting to make the drafts interesting and wanting to hedge and spec around. And yes. I just don't, I don't think they are. And I think that's okay. And I think once you come, and not that like, I hate giving that advice to people because there's going to be people that force and end up with a bad deck as a result of forcing. So you really right. do, this is dangerous advice because you also <laughs> have to have like really clear delineations of the types of cards you're willing to hedge for and the types of cards you're willing to hold on to for. Yeah. And you also have to have a lot of knowledge about what the complementary cards are for the good cards that you're trying to build your decks around. So there's still a lot of knowledge you need. It's just different than the normal style of drafting. Yeah. All right. We'll leave you with that. Lots of food for thought. And I'm sure we will be revisiting some of those concepts in the coming weeks until Cons of Tarkir comes out. And we never have to talk about this godforsaken format ever again. Oops. Did I say that? <laughs> Dinosaur <laughs> losers? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases of magic cards, packs, singles, whatever you need, please use checkout code LOL when you do so to let them know we sent you over there and to get 5% off anything you purchase. You can find all of our content on our website. There's links to our tier list, links to our Twitch channels, our YouTube channel, our merch our Patreon page, all that good stuff can be found at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.